Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. New Grace exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media, at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. We're having, uh, we're working through three weeks now, today being the third week of our series, 2021 Uncensored. We're talking about the uncensored realities that were discussed and shared by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20. So I want you to go to Acts 20. We've looked at it for three weeks. Uh, Let's look at it today, Acts 20 and 19. Take the filter off. Take the sensor off, Paul. Tell Tell us what you're facing. Tell us what kind of adversity is waiting for you. The Bible says in verse 19 that Paul was serving the Lord with all humility of mind. And notice what he says to these men from Ephesus that have met him halfway. Notice what he tells them before heading to Jerusalem. With many tears and temptations which befell or which fell on me by the lying in wait of the Jews. You you can't even count on religious people. They're some of the most dangerous folk. They will cut you. Are you hearing me? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The world will mess you up. The world will hurt you. The world will sting you, but ain't nobody gonna leave you jaded like church people. He says, all this happened with my own kindred and brethren, the Jews. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. There's just this level of uncertainty with where I'm going. Boy, that about sums up the last 12 months for everybody, don't it? And just because the calendar flipped over don't make it any different, right? You think COVID-19 gives a flip that we added a one where there was a zero? You think, you think the demons of divorce care that it's 2021? You think, you think that spirit of oppression and depression cares that it's January and you visited a treadmill two weeks ago? You think, you think they care about that stuff? He says, I don't even know what's around the corner. And that scares the devil out of me, not knowing. Except, or the word save in the King James English, except that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city. Everywhere I go, there's this confirmation, whether through a witness or just internally, there's this confirmation that bonds and afflictions abide me. Can you imagine avoiding a county or a city for fear of arrest and there ain't even a warrant out on you? Can you imagine that? Some of y'all are like, yeah. Yeah, I ain't got caught yet. This, this whole idea of Paul taking the censor off and telling it like it is is no different for me and you right now today. We don't need someone to get up behind a pulpit and cushion the blow and tell us, this is your year. The year of prosperity and wealth. This is the year of breakthrough. Uh, well, this might be the year of breakdown. <laughs> this might be the year of breakup much less break through. We don't, need some, we don't need somebody to get up and put a pillow over our face before they punch us in the nose. Just tell me the truth. Just be real with me. Is it really gonna get easier? No. No, it's not gonna get any easier. Have you read the back of the book? It gets a whole lot harder for us. COVID-19 is just a taste of things to come. There's a whole lot of stuff waiting around the corner. We can be sure of that. I'm praying for peace. Well, <laughs> all right. 
You need, to read, you need to read some, you need to climb that eschatological ladder in your Bible and find out that the peace that we're gonna experience is on the other side of hell that hits this planet. It's funny, it's funny. We got this idea that with Jesus, it just gets easier. You know, if you love the Lord, you won't get sick. I love him. I almost died. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> If you, if, if you love God and quote the right psalm and just the right inflection, you won't, you know, it won't come nigh thy door. Okay, all right. Well, that's not reality for a lot of people. That's not truth. And just taking something out of context that was written to the children of Israel uh, in an earthly way and slapping it on a, as a bumper sticker on our life and saying, I'm good. That's not how that works, ladies and gentlemen. And we don't need, we don't need some censored reality about how adversity is going to affect our marriage, our mind, the things that we've endeavored to do as a church, how, it's, how you're gonna have to deal with your own set of demons. And by the way, everybody in the room is dealing with their own set of demons. We sit here with our Sunday best facade in front, but the reality is everybody in this room is in a fight right now. Mamas are in a fight, daddies are in a fight, husbands and wives, single, divorce, everybody in the room is in the fight of their life. We don't need some censored reality. We, we, we don't need it filtered or edited. I, I don't need you to crop it and flip it, rotate it. Just tell it like it is. And that's what Paul does in this last face-to-face -face conversation with these believers from Ephesus. He tells them, this is an absolute certainty. I will face some things in adversity. And for the last two weeks, including today, we've told you in the middle of these uncertainties, here's some absolutes. Remember what Pastor Jake preached? that the adversity is not going to change me. Paul said this is not going to move or manipulate or mold me. Last week, Pastor Jeff quoted the, re the rest of the verse where it says that Paul didn't let adversity become all about him. I don't count my life dear unto myself. This is not all about me. And today, I wanna move us further along in the verse, taking the same thing Paul said and stretching into the rest of what he said. Notice what he said in verse 24. He says, so that I might, right there sandwiched in the middle, he says, so that I might finish my course with joy. So that I want, I want everybody to say this word, so that I might finish. I want every believer in the room to say this out loud. So that I might finish my course with joy. It's hard to finish what you start in this life. It's hard. Commitment is doing what you said you were going to do long after the mood you set it in has expired. Amen. It is hard to finish what we start. And it's paramount that we see in Scripture throughout the theme of our Bible that God has created for us a life that was intended to have finished wherever there was start. There was supposed to be an end to wherever there was a beginning. And the reality is many of us right now are in the middle. How many of you know it gets messy in the middle? We're in the middle. We are not where we started. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm not where I used to be. I'm not what I used to be. I've, I've come a long way, and I've come out of a lot of things. And I'm here today, right now. Man, I feel a testimony break. Come on. I'm here right here, right now, because God has brought me through some things. Had it not been the Lord on my side, had it not been his blood on my sin, had it not been his presence in my life, had he not opened doors, and had he not broke chains, and had he not split red seas, and had he not dropped manna within reach, 
had he not been faithful and had he not been patient, had he not been merciful, I feel my help coming on church. Had God not brought me out of some things, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I'm not at the beginning. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not where I started. But, but I sure haven't got to where I'm going to be. And I, I'm just somewhere in the middle and I, I need to hear it echo through the chambers of my mind. Finish. Finish this thing that you started with Jesus. Many times people get in the middle and we're not prepared for the threshold of pain that gets challenged. We're not prepared for the real adversity we find in the middle of the fight. Last night, Conor McGregor. Somebody lost some money last night. He lost the fight via TKO, technical knockout. And there's a few other common ways to lose an MMA fight. Knockout, KO, decision if it goes the distance. Another creative way to lose a fight in a common way, and there's other ways, but a more common way is a submission. A submission is where one fighter gets his opponent in a position where he manages to control and manipulate a part of, or a piece of rather, that, that opponent's body, whether it be a choke, an arm bar or some manipulation of the knee joint or ankle and is able to submit his opponent. And the submission happens as a result of that the person who loses, they reached a place where the pain was too much. And when the pain was too much, they do what they call a tap and they tap out. They don't wait on a cut man or a coach. They tap under the pressure of the pain. The match is called, and the opponent wins. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul is, he's introducing some stuff to us that would arguably, or without argument rather, make people tap tears and temptations and going to jail and being beaten with rods, being whipped with a cat of nine tails, being locked up in solitary confinement, awaiting decapitation. All of these things without argument would make the average Christian tap. And it's no mystery to us. The Bible's filled with people who wanted to tap out and quit. Moses got overwhelmed with leadership, wanted to quit. Job's wife got overwhelmed with loss and wanted to quit. Demas fell in love with the world and left the things of God in the church and he tapped out, so to speak. He quit and forsook Paul and the work of the ministry. And Paul's not holding back. He looks at these men that he loves and he says, look, I gotta go to Jerusalem. And I can't guarantee you that I'm ever going to see you again. In fact, I'm assuming I'm probably not going to see you again because the adversity I'm going to face, it may take me out of here. But before he walked away, he told them. He said, none of this is going to change me. He said, I'm never going to let all this be about me. And he said, you mark it down, gentlemen. You might never see me again, but this right here, this ain't the end for me. This, everybody say this. Everybody point your finger like you're pointing to tomorrow. Point your finger like you're pointing to the rest of 2021. Just bounce that finger off the end of 2021's nose. 
and say, this is not the end for me. Look at the person next to you, tell them, this is not the end for me. I wanna ask you a question, church. Have you ever been through a period of pain and you wanted to tap out? You ever been through a season of pain and you wanted to quit? I wrote this down, I, well, I'm curious here. Why, why is it that so many people have the knee-jerk reaction to quit when things get difficult? Oh, well, I wrote this down. I, I, I believe that most people are convinced they didn't sign up for stuff that was hard. And when they, when they get into something, they, 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 they didn't read the fine print. They didn't check out the disclosure. And it's a lot what Pastor Jeff preached last week. They, they think there's not supposed to be any splinters in their cross. There's not supposed to be any weight to the load in which they've been assigned. I wrote this down. A whole lot of people are like water. They always find the path of least resistance because they believe the lie that it's easier somewhere else doing something else with someone else. This is hard, and I don't want to do hard. I want to do easy. So like water, I'm going to find the path of least resistance. I think the reason a lot of people have that knee-jerk reaction to quit is because growing up, they were always given an easy button. I don't think that's the case for everyone in the, every one of us in this room. But the reason some of us are so quick to quit something before, it, before we even make it to the middle is because we were so used to being rescued as a child from adversity. And you've never had to fight through anything for anything. We are, we are right now are facing a shift in our society, in our generation of coddled weaknesses. We are not grooming the next generation to be warriors. This is, this is where everybody with some gray hair somewhere on your body needs to get with me. I got a few. I can talk like this now. Look what y'all done did. We, 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 have, we, have this, we have this easy, coddled, caretaking approach to life that, that it, it's, it's just going to be whipped cream and cherries. Not to add to anything that's already been said about this, but this whole mentality of everybody gets a trophy. Oh, I'll leave that. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave that alone. Don't tell Paul everybody gets a trophy. We, we right now have watched society sink both of their feet into a wimpy, wussified approach. Our skin is paper thin. We take offense to things that don't involve us, don't include us. We favor our rants and raves online. We look to check all of our suggestions, opinions, and preferences, all the while looking for someone to pee in our cornflakes. And I want to tell you something. God said, I wish you were either hot or cold because when you're lukewarm, it makes me want to throw up. I wish somebody wanted to help me preach this thing. 
We need, to, we need a generation of church people that will plant their feet like concrete, grow a backbone like a saw log, and say, I signed up in this thing to endure hardness as a good soldier. It's a fight, it's a battle, it's a war. It ain't gonna be easy. You're welcome. <laughs> Paul's already been through so much. <laughs> he, he has. Pelted with rocks. Jesus! <laughs> We're done after that, right? Someone so much as gives us a scowl in the break room for saying a blessing over baloney, and we shut her down. This man's pelted with stones kicked out of cities, excommunicated by his brethren, ostracized, thrown in jail, ran over by crowds, beaten with rods. Beaten with a, a cat of nine tails. Now this, is, right there is where I do a new believer some justice and explain that is not a feline with nine appendages coming out of his rear end. <laughs> I remember hearing that as a young, can I take a commercial break? I remember hearing that as a young person. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails. I'm like, God, that sounds awful. <laughs> beaten with a whip that had glass and metal and bone in it. Stranded at sea for 14 days, shipwrecked. Finally makes it through all that, gets to an island full of barbarians. They're sitting there cutting carrots for a stew and he's trying to uh, throw some wood on the fire and a venomous snake bites him on the hand and they all step back and go, well, he's good as dead. Didn't even know his past, but they called it right on the money. Said, this man's a murderer. See, didn't kill him. Now the snake's gonna kill him. The universe is getting vengeance. He's been through a lot. He has a lot of credentials to say this. I just want to finish. I just want to finish. What if you and I could look ahead and predict our pain? Would we still continue? What if, I mean, and that, that's not how it works, you know? God doesn't pull back the veil and say, this is what's going to happen to you. I've said it so many times here over the last few years since we started this church. The worst stuff that's ever going to happen to you, you didn't see it coming and you didn't have time to worry about it. Because if you would have saw it coming, you would have worried yourself in the grave before it happened to you. So the worst stuff's gonna happen to you, you don't see it coming. You didn't plan it, it wasn't on your calendar, right? You didn't know it, you didn't see it. And I think Paul had this declaration and it's, it's summed up in the way we would say things, just finish. J just finish. Wherever that lands in your spirit about your life and where you're at with Jesus, just finish. Just finish whatever that is. And when Paul says to us through this verse, this is not the end for me. Just finish. I can see Paul saying it to himself. Through every tear that he cried and every temptation that he faced, he's constantly reminding himself, just finish, just finish. Every time his name was cursed and his reputation was run through the mud, every, every time it was just finish, just finish, just finish. 
finished. What if this church, these people, what if you and I could get this declaration on our lips today to just finish? What if it became a mindset and an attitude that carried us into this week to face the next level of adversity? What if, what if we could understand this and live it in such a way where no matter what this year threw at us, even if it was worse than last year, or if 20, what if 2022 is the real demon hiding in the tall grass? What if we could get this mentality today, right here at the age of 16 or the age of 60, to just finish that no matter what adversity I face, when I'm in the face of adversity, I remind myself that I must finish because one day in January of 2021, I declared and resolved that I would just finish. Somebody give him praise in the room if you believe there's power and just finish. So I want to submit this to you very quickly, what Paul said. I might finish my course. I want you to underline that. If you're, if you're one of those folks that are writing your Bible or you're trying to just tattoo something to the mind, I want you to think about that, that I want to finish my course. Now, Paul's got one goal, finish my course. God told me to tell you this, just finish the journey. Just finish the journey, the journey you've started with Christ. Like Paul's journey started in Acts 9 at his miraculous conversion when he met Jesus face to face. It is echoed back to you and I to finish the journey that we've started. And our journey is likened to a course, past, present, future. It's a course. It's like a race course, an, an obstacle course. Even the authors of Hebrews liken it to a race that we all must run. But there's something that you and I cannot miss this. And you can't miss this. If you're going to finish your journey, there's a couple things you've got to know about it in the proper context of this verse. Because he says, I want to finish my course. I want to finish mine. Oh, God told me to tell you this. It's my course, not anybody else's. And you'll never finish yours if you always wish you were running somebody else's. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. I don't know who needs it, but put it in your pocket. I can't spend my time questioning or wondering why my course doesn't look like yours. Because the moment I begin to wonder and question why my course doesn't look like yours, I am lured away from my course and I find myself knee deep in something called the comparison trap. And how many of you know when you step in a comparison trap, you more than likely never live to get out of it? There's a lot of people get off course because they're trying to emulate and duplicate what they saw in somebody else's. Let me tell you something. What God is doing in somebody else's life ain't none of your business about what he wants to do in your life. Churches are caught up with it. Pastors are caught up with it. Leaders are caught up with it. CEOs are caught up with it. Families are caught up with it. And we have the beautiful privilege of a thing called Facebook, where at any point in time, I can get snapshots of the highlight reel of your journey, filtered, cropped, edited, smiling, perfectly sitting, enjoying every aspect of your fake facade life. And I wonder, why don't I have that kind of money? Why don't we have that boat? How come we don't have that many cars in our garage? How come our kids aren't that smart? How come my husband doesn't look like that? How come we don't have that life? 
How come our church can't do that? How come our church doesn't do that? And here we are, knee deep in a comparison trap, and God had a course customized just for you. He knew what you needed. He knew when you needed to get there and what you needed to go through. And God did not look at somebody else's journey to try and build yours. When God built your journey, he coursed it out before you were born. When you were in your mother's womb, I knew thee. I knew the beginning, I knew the middle, and I knew the end. And every place along this charted course I planned it out according to my knowledge, my wisdom, and my glory. But I'm, I, and I'm trying to look at somebody else's life. And here the clay is questioning the potter, why have you made me thus? And that's why Satan wants to use perhaps somebody else's course or another version of a course to lure you off course so that you never finish your journey. Now, why would he do that? Well, your journey's not just personal. Your journey is purposeful. God, God, oh man, I'm gonna help somebody. It's not an accident you were born. It's not an accident you were conceived in the womb. Regardless if those two people that made that happen are together, in love or alive. It's not an accident that at some point in your life, the gospel was presented to you. Your faith in Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection was enough to save you and forgive you. And now you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. It is no accident that you have been through some of the trouble and the turmoil and the tragedy and trauma you've been through. All of those things were preparatory, my God, preparatory steps along the way because there was purpose. God is not a God of accident. He's not a God of coincidence. You Listen, you buried, you buried your brother prematurely but God knew what he was doing. You went through a divorce and it broke your heart, but God knew what he was doing. You got locked up in jail and thought you threw away your life, but God knew what he was doing. Is there anybody in this room that can help me bless the good name of God that through every tear, every temptation, every chain, every affliction, it was part of the course. It was all part of the course. Oh, that's when you look your enemy in the eye and say, you thought evil against me, but I had a God working in Egypt and he meant it for good. Somebody give him praise, come on. I gotta catch my breath, somebody give him praise. The course is charted out with direction. Unlike most of life and most people, the course you have with God is actually going somewhere that serves a purpose. Paul traveled 10,000 miles on foot. They didn't have taxis and Ubers and Lyfts. A few boat rides here and there and a few donkey rides here and there, but 10,000 miles on foot. That's, that's like going from New York to LA four times. This man was driven with pursuit and passion because he had purpose. Purpose is what gets you up in the morning. It's what keeps you up at night. Purpose is the reason you exist. Purpose is what makes you matter. Purpose is the thing that when you do it, we notice you're in the room. And if you stop doing it, we notice that you're no longer in the room. 
Purpose is what gives you meaning in the kingdom. When God created humanity, he gave man purpose. Here's dominion. Here's ambassadorship. Here's representation. You are going to embody my glory and my presence, and you are going to reflect my likeness. That's why Paul said, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The career you have is not your purpose. The marriage you have is not your purpose. The children you have is not your purpose. All of those things are pillars that prop up your existence and your existence is to reflect the person, the work, the greatness, the goodness, the majesty, the glory, the power, and the presence of God. That's why the course matters because it points back to him. My God, that's why you gotta stay on course. Let's take one, let's take one fraction of, of the course. Have you ever gotten out of church? Hold up. It's so easy to get in the first time. I need some people to talk to me. It's easy to get in. And it's even easier to get out. You ever notice this? When you get out, it's really hard to get back in. It's really hard to get back in. And the devil's smooth, boy, he'll throw you so many excuses. What am I talking about? You don't even need the devil, right? You'll have excuses. COVID-19 will be gone 10 years from now. You'll be, you'll be in your bunker. <laughs> Buying stuff at Walmart, shopping down at the quick trip. At the quick trip. <laughs> Going to ball games, eating at Longhorns, horn. But when it comes to the gathering of saints, you looked for your permission slip of excuses and God took it from you. What then? I'm just giving you a small fraction of the course. Church is a, is a, is a perfect example because we have this mentality that if I get out of church, there's no point in getting back in church. People forget about me. I'm better off gone. I didn't really make a difference. It don't matter. If I walk back in there, they're gonna judge me. If I walk back in there, they're going to condemn me. If I walk back in there, the preacher's going to look at me and preach a certain thing at me. The enemy works so hard to get you off course because there's purpose attached to your course. Paul knew this. That's why he uttered to himself, just finish. But he slips this in. I don't know if you saw this or not. There's a, there's a prepositional addition in verse 24. He says, I want to finish my course with joy. I don't want to get to the finish line and be a grouchy, cynical, scolded, jaded person. What is it to get to the very end and look like you're mad you finally made it? Talk to me, church. All of the adversity you went through, does it make you bitter or does it make you better? As Pastor Jake preached in week one, does it define you or does it develop you? And Paul tells us a little secret. When it comes to finishing your journey, he says, just finish with joy. Just finish it with joy. Just finish it with something that we can't chalk up as an emotion. Joy is not a feeling. It's a fruit. I'm about to mess y'all up. You ready? Joy is not a feeling. 
Happiness is a feeling. But if you look in Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the spirit, you won't find happiness. But right behind love, you'll find joy. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Now, when I tell you, finish your journey with joy, the question is thought if it's not asked. In order for me to obtain joy, maintain joy, and finish with joy, wouldn't adversity need to be absent from my course? Like if I'm supposed to finish with joy, shouldn't that mean that I never had to go through anything that was adverse? My friend, you have confused happiness and joy. Oh, God told me to tell you this. Adversity comes along and it was meant and intended to strip away our happiness. Are you telling me God don't care if I'm happy? You said it. You said it. God never guaranteed you a happy meal. He never guaranteed a happy pill. Even though the doctor told you this will do the trick, he never guaranteed happiness. Am I telling it right? Why is that? Happiness is so surface level. It's like wrapping paper. It's the front, the fake, the facade that we have externally, that we wrap ourselves in. And happiness is based on what happens. Just like wrapping paper, happiness is usually tied to an event. That's why you feel happier on Friday than Monday. Because at Friday at five o'clock, you're getting off work. So long, suckers, and you're done for the weekend. There's this happiness that comes over you. If you're not careful and you're immature and blind to scriptural truth, you'll think that's joy. It's not. You have an emotion, a feeling that was tied to an event that happened. Sea-dews will make you happy. New cars will make you happy. Toys will make you happy. Hobbies will make you happy. A 10-point buck will make you happy. A trophy fish will make you happy. A new boo will make you happy. You can't find a pair of wedding photos where somebody's frowning, unless you look at Jewish custom back in the day. Unless you look at Jacob. Behold, in the morning it was Leah. Bible says she was tender-eyed. Hard to look at. That's what that meant. How do you how do you work seven years to marry Rachel? Go to the altar, say the vows, get to the honeymoon suite, wake up the next morning when room service knocks on the door, and you roll over and it's ugly Leah. And you signed up for Rachel. That's a whole nother sermon for another day. That's adversity, my friend. That is adversity. I don't know what I was saying. Baby, what was I preaching on? uh, Hey, Jacob wasn't happy. Happiness is tied to events and experiences. It's the external. It's wrapping paper. So God's not afraid to let adversity come along and strip away that happiness because you're building your life around a feeling. Feelings are temporary. God wants you to build your life around fruit, not feelings. Joy is a fruit. So what happens is adversity comes along and it solidifies our joy. Joy is like the thing beneath the wrapping paper, beneath the Amazon box. It's the gift inside that only got there because the Holy Ghost brought it with him. And he is able to produce that. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. Maybe God has been trying to teach you how to have joy without having something extra or external to make you happy. 
Maybe he is trying to teach you that joy is only linked to Jesus. People will come and go. Promotions will come and go. Events and experiences will come and go. But the Jesus that is planted in your heart, there is nothing in this world or the world to come that will ever separate him from you or you from him. And with Jesus comes joy. Let's close. Let's land this plane. Let's land this plane. We're ready to disembark. Come on. Let's, let's, let's wrap this thing up. Everybody say, just finish. Just finish. Everybody say, with joy. with joy. Here's the deal. Listen, don't miss this. Now, I'm landing the plane. Don't miss this. Joy is not a byproduct of circumstances. Joy is not manufactured or fabricated through temporary or imperfect relationships. Joy does not follow every season of health, wealth, status, or state. Listen to this. Listen, I'm gonna help you. Joy is not contingent on what happens to you or around you. Joy is present because of what has already happened in you. And Paul says, I've got joy in the face of adversity when there's tears on my face, when there's temptations at every hand. When I don't know what's waiting for me when I get to Jerusalem, whether it's chains, beatings, affliction, or persecution, even murder, he said, I've still got joy. We got this statement we say in Christianity, and it's a good statement. It makes for good preaching. It's good encouragement. But we say things like, don't lose your joy. And, and that when you say, don't lose your joy, it, it paints, it paints a narrative in people's mind that it's up to you to keep your joy. You gotta keep your joy. But if you've ever been through anything, who am I talking to? If you've ever been, here we go, if you've ever lost anything, if you've ever lost anyone, if you ever lost a part of you, never to get it back, you know that you didn't keep joy, joy kept you. Who am I preaching to in this room? You think you're the one with a bulldog grip on joy? <laughs> when the Spirit of God resided inside of you as the dwelling place, He let joy get a bulldog grip on you. You might lose a lot of things in this life, church. You might lose some friends. You might lose your reputation. You might lose your name. You might lose opportunity. You might lose your health. You might lose your money. You might lose your friends. You might lose a lot of things horizontally. But I want to tell you in this room, ladies and gentlemen, bless God, if you've got Jesus, then that means you're qualified to keep the joy that God gave you. You can't lose your joy. You might lose your feelings. You might lose your mind. You might lose your balance. You might lose your head. You might lose your heart. But ladies and gentlemen, if you got Jesus, you can't lose your joy. I wish somebody helped me preach this thing. I've been through hell, Pastor. I've lost some things. I've lost some things. But I want to report, I didn't lose my joy because my joy didn't lose me. I didn't lose it. It wasn't mine to lose because it wasn't mine to keep. I got this joy in my soul and it won't let me go.
Isn't that what you were singing earlier? You look like you believe it. You look like you believe it when we gather with the brethren dwelling in unity. But do you believe it when hell has assailed your front door? Do you believe it when your kids get a rebellious spirit? Do you believe it when you're fighting through demonic oppression? Do you believe it when you fail? Do you believe it when you can't stay sober? Do you believe that joy is what's going to keep you through the face of adversity and the fight of adversity? You know, it's funny being in these shoes. Not these stupid shoes. I mean, I mean, these pastors can testify. Many of these people in this room that have endeavored to lead God's people in any level of ministry could testify. It's funny how God will make you live the stuff you preach. You'll live something, and then God will let you preach it. But sometimes while you're preaching, it's about something you're going to live, and you don't know it yet. Right? I've been preaching through adversity, about how to get through adversity for a year now. Whether all of 2020, not getting not getting hit with the fake virus, you know what I mean? <laughs> and the biggest day, in my opinion, of our church's progress was the chest of Joash offering. That was a open door meets obedience moment for us. We've had better services, we've had better experiences in this presence together, but I think that was one of the most crucial turning points for our church. And lo and behold, a few days later, I feel like I got the flu on steroids. Rapid test, you tested positive. After the dude scraped my cerebellum from my cranium, <laughs> I gotta go back to the house and we gotta figure some things out. And about day seven, seven or eight, and y'all know, y'all know me. We do this every week. Y'all know I don't have a problem with my lungs, right? That's obvious. You can't hear anymore, right? <laughs> and my breathing started getting heavy, and my breathing started getting slow, and I remember hearing about a preacher friend of mine in Virginia. He's, he's, he's about a year or two older than me, Great shape, amazing preacher. I remember hearing about him last March, he got sick with COVID-19 and he ended up in the hospital on oxygen. And as I was sitting there in the process of getting sick, I remember the reality setting in, it's happening to you. And maybe they'll figure out the whys. Why does it hit this person like it hits this? Maybe they'll figure that out. Maybe they've figured it out. Maybe they've told us. Maybe they haven't. I don't know. But all I know is it's happening to me. And it takes a lot to get me to go to the hospital. I actually went on that Friday night, and they sent me home. And then I bottomed out the next 24 hours. And to make this story short, had we not went to the hospital when we did, I would have died in my living room. And I get to that hospital... They're, I'm, they're flying down the hallway with me in this wheelchair. I'm on the verge of blacking out. Oxygen's not getting my brain. They throw me in this bed. There's people in there waiting on me. I get stabilized with my oxygen. 
But you listen, I've never felt so weak and so powerless. I couldn't sit up, I could barely talk. My phone's blowing up over in the corner of the room. And you're, and you're sitting there in this room. My wife can't come see me. Everything we just set out to do for the church felt like it was just in limbo. I got that on my spirit, on my mind. Thank God we have the pastors and the staff and the leadership of this church we have. Because guess what? We didn't miss a beat. We didn't miss a beat. I love you guys. I love y'all. Y'all, y'all are my family and my fellow soldiers, and you fought like crazy to keep this church on track. I'm sitting in a hospital bed, on oxygen, lose my appetite. I mean, who, who, who's signing up to eat vegetarian lasagna anyway, right? <laughs> sitting there wearing this stupid gown. The back end don't even tie. Somebody doesn't shoot off one string, the other one don't reach nothing. Every time I stood up in the room, I felt like a bird standing up in the nest with the wind blowing. Back in hanging out. That's why they call it the ICU. Just, there you are. <laughs> I hadn't had a bath in like four or five days. By the way, all this grows out just fine. <laughs> this right here, not so much. I hate people like you. I can't stand it. I don't know what happened here, but. All this done grown out, I wooly bully, I'm over. I've been shaving since I was 12, it just poof. <laughs> and nurse came in there, she said, you need to take a bath. I'm thinking, how the heck am I gonna get to the bathroom, prop myself up in a shower? I'm just gonna lay there on the wall, hope the water's hot enough to knock some funk off of me. She Seeger, she throws me a, a thing of wipes. She says, here you go. I thought either she's washing me or I'm washing me. It's gonna be an interesting situation either way. I can't reach my toes at this time. I got the talons sticking out beneath the bed sheets, laying there, dirty, miserable, can't move, can't breathe hardly. And the enemy just creeps right in. Look at you, big boy. Look at you, preacher man. Your, your, your church is hanging in the limbo. Y'all trying to make a move financially? Haven't you tried to make other big moves before? Hey, how'd that pan out for you? How'd that merge thing work out for you? How'd that buying a shopping center thing hang out? And here you are at the most crucial point in this entire journey of your church. And here you are laid up on a bed and can't reach your feet. I came to that crossroads of adversity. What am I going to do? I can't phone a friend, you know. I can't have my wife come in and love on me, tell me it's going to be okay. You know what I did? I didn't try to let the wrapping paper lift my spirits. I wasn't banking on an event or an experience to be my pick-me-up. But you know what I, you know what I did? I did what I've been telling y'all for years to do. I reached inside to the deep well of the Holy Ghost and I drew from that water, that living water, 
that joy and that strength. And right there in that hospital room with nobody around but God and the devil, I raised my hands to heaven and I started telling God how good it was, how big it was. And I declared right there, I said, you know what? This ain't gonna be the end of me. I'm not dying in this room. I'm not giving up in this room. I gotta finish my journey. And it starts right here, right now with joy. Sometimes you got to reach into that well and you got to let God extract that joy from the depths of your soul and you got to learn how to praise your way through the fight and face of adversity. I wonder one last time, would anybody in this room help me reach into some joy? Let's give God 